throughout January, we've taken time to consider uh, a, a very important idea, uh, a very important quality, and, and, and that is the subject of endurance. And uh, this has been incredibly personal for me, and uh, it's been helpful. I hope it's been helpful for you as well. And uh, we're going to continue that conversation today. Uh, endurance is a, uh, it's something that we don't necessarily think about, talk about, unless it's specific to what we do. If you're a marathon runner, you talk about endurance. You have to train for endurance. But uh, in, in everyday life, it's not necessarily a conversation that comes up a lot. But uh, just as uh, a, a definition, endurance is uh, it's not something spiritually that we that we can personally develop in our own strength. Endurance is, for all intents and purposes, it's a gift of grace. It is a gift of God's grace to us. And uh, it doesn't, unfortunately, it doesn't, it doesn't come easy. It's free. It's a free gift of God's grace. But in terms of receiving it into our lives, that is not an easy process. In fact, I'd say it's the opposite of that. And so we've actually spent a lot of time in the first chapter of James, um, and I, I can't seem to get out of it, but um, I keep saying we're done with this, but um, just to paraphrase, uh, and it's a good jumping off point today, in the book of James, his encouragement is that we count it all joy during uh, seasons that are difficult, struggles and difficulties, tough seasons, count those difficult times in the category of joy. Uh, celebrate that things are not going well. It, it seems a little dark and, uh, and a little twisted to me, but uh, there's certainly a reason behind it. It, it. It's not that the tough seasons are good. It's not that uh, James is saying tough seasons, struggles, difficulties are a great thing. Uh, that's not the case. They're not. Um, what he's saying is, through them, regardless if it's good times or bad times, God is good. And uh, God is consistently always good. He's not good when things are good. He's good no matter what. And, and what he's saying is we can find some sense of joy in difficult seasons because God is so good and so faithful that he promises to work good out of bad. So something is going to come out of this difficult season that is extremely good, and it's because God is extremely good and faithful. And so then he goes on to say that, you know, those tough moments, they, uh, that in those tough moments our faith is tested, and the testing of our faith is, uh, it, through that is where we receive this gift of grace that we call endurance. And uh, so that's sort of a jumping off point, gives us some idea of definition. I want to Turn your attention to Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, we're spending some time in these very familiar verses, uh, Hebrews 12. We're going to look at the, just the first three verses. If you've got a Bible, awesome. If not, we're going to put it up on the screen for you. But uh, just as you're turning there, uh, there, there has been a lot of opinion and conjecture um, who could have possibly authored the book of Hebrews, who, who wrote this book. Um, it truthfully, we just don't know. No idea. Uh, everyone's got an opinion about that, or most Bible scholars have some sort of opinion about that. Uh, we don't know. 
Uh, I think that's kind of a positive as it relates to the book of Hebrews. It's such a powerful book anyway. But the only person that we can assign credit to as we read these verses even today is God. These are the words of God. So we're not even distracted by who God spoke them through. Uh, These can only be credited to God himself. And so uh, with that in mind, Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, uh, starting with this verse. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and you will not lose heart. Uh, the author does something that is familiar. In fact, we looked at several verses last week uh, with a similar kind of idea, but he uses um, uh, a, an analogy to describe what life is. Life is like a box of chocolates. Uh, I'm sorry. Life is like a race. Uh, life is like a race. Now, he immediately starts talking about endurance. So, um, if you run with the race analogy, <laughs> uh, if you go with it, uh, it's not, he's not talking about a 40-yard dash, I don't think. Those don't really require endurance. Um, how many of you guys did gym class in high school? Raise your hand. Okay. And raise your hand, same people. Did you wear the matching outfits with everybody, the gym class? <laughs> we were so silly. Who wears short shorts? <laughs> um, so I had my little shorty shorts and my way too big t-shirt. It looked like a, a nighty. And uh, so I, I remember gym class in, in high school, and there would be uh, a week of something or two weeks of something. So we do two weeks of uh, badminton or we do two weeks of dodgeball. And I remember it was uh, track and field week. And uh, this probably would have been around, I don't know, springtime. And, and so it was time to go outside to the track, and, and the gym class was going to run some track and field stuff. So I, I'd never really uh, done that. I, I played some sports, but not really, nothing like track, you know, where you're just full-on running. And so um, we all lined up. We took turns. He was timing. The gym, uh, the gym coach was timing us, and we did the 40-yard dash. And ready, go. And, and I ran the 40. I just ran. And I didn't put any thought into it. I just getting it over with. And uh, I ran with however many other people. And, uh, and by the end of everybody running, he's like, all right, top uh, best score or best time for today on the 40-yard dash, Chris Stapleton. I was like, what? I had the best score or the best time today? That's crazy. And then uh, the next day, we did the 100-yard dash. And, uh, and he said, hey, uh, okay. Best score for today, 100-yard dash, Chris Stapleton. I was like, what? What is going on? I thought I was being punked. Um, and so, in fact, I had one of the best scores of all the gym classes, he told me, for the 40 and the 100. And I was like, I am the fastest man alive. <laughs> I thought I had been bitten by a radioactive cheetah. Uh, I was like, what is... That's not how Flash was born. <laughs> Something else. Um, but I, I was like, I, I, man, I, and I, I, my head started swelling, and I was like, I started looking at everybody differently, you know, when you're better than everybody at something, you're like, <laughs> you start looking down your nose, and I'd never experienced that feeling in my entire life. I was like, I am the fastest person you've ever met. 
And so uh, we were building. We were building. So we crescendoed. We're like, okay, gym class. It is time to run the mile. I was like, you guys are in deep, deep trouble. Uh, Continue my reign of glory. And so we lined up for the mile. And, and I, I took off like a bolt, just like I had the 40 and the 100. And I'm running past these fools that are slow. And, uh, and I'm just like, I'm just, I'm looking at, I lap them all. I'm like, <laughs> I, I did one lap around the track. And I felt like there was a, a rhinoceros sitting on my chest. And I was like, oh, what is this feeling? And, uh, and so I slowed down abruptly. And everybody started passing me, uh, people not even in our gym class, uh, people, people drawing stripes on the football field passed me multiple times, and I came in pretty much dead last. And it was that day I, I realized, I understood there is a big difference between running the 40-yard dash and running a mile. 40-yard dash requires zero endurance. Uh, the mile requires a good amount of endurance. And so, and then you go from there. We've got heroes in our church that run marathons. We've got heroes in our church that have competed in the Ironman. And, uh, and it's amazing. And it blows my mind. I'm like, th- th- that is incredible. That is incredible. I get winded just walking to my car and back. Uh, but I, I, you realize that, that running different types of races require uh, a different gear. And so it is a different mentality. And it is a completely different approach. And, and part of really embracing what's being said here in, in the book of Hebrews is understanding and, and, and gaining revelation of the completely different approach to this race. Uh, it, there might be a natural way that we would run it, but that's not the best way to run it. And I think that's exactly how we're being challenged with these verses. It's like maybe we need to rethink our strategy. Uh, if, if life is a race and it's a marathon, it requires endurance, maybe we need to go about it differently than we than we have, and maybe if, we're, if we feel like it's all piling on and, and we're not doing well and we want to quit everything that we start, maybe there's something to looking at this a different way. So naturally, this, is, uh, this conversation about running a race, it's personal, it's individual, and, and naturally, I think our minds, our thoughts gravitate towards, okay, um, what do I need to do differently, personally? And, and so our eyes tend to turn inward upon ourselves, and, uh, and we start asking the great question, how am I doing? Or uh, how's it going with me? And, and so we start becoming introspective and uh, self-analytical, and we start critiquing how we run our race, how we're running, how we're carrying on, how we're living versus how... God's telling us to live or versus, you know, compared to how other people are living their lives and running their races. And so what do I need to change? What do I need to do differently? How do I need to step it up? How do I need to try harder? There is something ingrained in us that our culture fans the flame of, and the church is uh, most guilty of this. If any place is guilty of this, the church is uh, preaching a self-centric message with Jesus attached to it. Uh, and so it becomes a lifestyle of pulling yourself up by the bootstraps, making it happen for the glory of God. Do good, try hard, be great, do everything for the glory of God. And that is a great way 
to lose heart and to give up and to get weary and to throw in the towel. Because truthfully, that's not the strategy. In fact, you read these verses in Hebrews. Immediately the author turns our attention and our focus off of ourselves onto Jesus. In fact, I would say that is the entire point of these verses. Is to fix your eyes. And to fix your eyes means to not avert them. This is lock them in and don't move. Fix them. Gorilla glue your eyes to the Lord Jesus. And then again, he says, consider Him. So I want to run the race. I want to do well. I want my life to count. I want my life to have meaning. I want fulfillment. We all want that. That is... That is uh, common amongst all of us. No one here has anything other than a desire to succeed. A desire to live a life worth living. We all want the well done, good and faithful. Everyone wants that. So there's no variable there. It's just how do we do that? How do we run that kind of race? How do we live that kind of life? And immediately the author's like, I get it. You want to win. You want to run this race. You want to finish the race. Here's how. Fix your eyes on Him. And then where we would normally consider ourselves, the author says, consider Him. The Apostle Paul said, we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ Jesus. We preach Jesus crucified. We preach the Gospel. Uh, I, I, unfortunately, I don't know that um, we uh, as people can, can spot the gospel and a counterfeit at first glance until we really develop that, you know, taste. Uh, there's people that would drink a Pepsi and drink a Coke and think there's no difference. And then there's that refined palate that we all feel better. Now we, now we feel like I did in gym class. You feel better than other people because you can tell the difference. If I give you the blind taste, it's like, that's definitely Pepsi. But I, I think until you get the refined taste, you, until, you, until you reach a place where like, man, you preaching me is not helping me. That is like swimming, that is like shouting swimming instructions to someone who's drowning. Paddle harder. Use your legs. I don't need that. I need a life preserver. I need, I need salvation. And that's what the gospel is. Uh, the, 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 the preaching of ourselves, the preaching of you doing more, a self-centric message doesn't help anybody. In fact, the best case scenario, if it does start to show some sort of quote-unquote fruit in your life, what that leads to is pride. Because you're doing it. Best case scenario, you're pulling it off, you're a great Christian, you're making this thing happen. Pride. The Bible says, do nothing for pride or empty conceit. Nothing. So, that's not the approach. What we need is the gospel. What we need is a focus on Jesus Christ. We need to be pointed to our source. It's a focus on what Jesus has endured for us that allows us to endure our race, to keep going so we don't grow weary or lose heart. I'd like to turn your attention back to the Old Testament. And in fact, we're going to go all the way back to the book of Isaiah. And uh, Isaiah... Is, of course, a prophet of the Old Testament, an incredible prophet of the Old Testament. And, um, and you'll find m- more words of encouragement along these same lines 
that have to do with not growing weary and continuing to run our race without growing weary. And uh, this encouragement seems incredibly counterproductive. Um, but this, I think, is so important for us to hear today. Isaiah, Isaiah 40 is where we're going to be, just verses 28 through 31. And uh, again, this is the prophet Isaiah speaking, of course, the words of God. And this says this, Do you not know, have you not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? Now, we start with how big and amazing, everlasting our creator is. And in the consideration, God doesn't get weary. God doesn't lose heart. Um, His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might. That person increases in power, though youths. Everyone say that with me. Youths. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get weary or tired, and they will walk and not get weary. Uh, That is the encouragement from the book of Isaiah. How do we do this? Now, the the realization, the recognition is, is, hey, even the most fit, capable, together, strong, do-it-yourselfers are going to throw in the towel. That's the statement. So some of us, we feel like, you know, I'm at a disadvantage. I'm older. Uh, I got a lot going on. I'm busy. There's a lot of plates that I'm spinning, and, and life is a little overwhelming. So for me to get tired and weary, that's, that's natural. But these young people who have no problems, they have no cares, no worries. If they, if they had my problems, they would quit, and they would hate it, and they would, they, would just, they would feel the weight that I feel. But they got nothing going on. Well, the consideration is even people with the wide open lane, with no worries and cares and tons of energy and youth, those people, they get tired too. So this is the great equalizer. We all need an endurance, a different gear that we can't create in our own strength. We lack the means to do so. So in order to finish the race the way that we're called to finish the race, we need something that is supernatural, that is outside of us, not within us. That's the conversation here. How do I get what's outside of me? How do I receive what this is talking about? Waiting. Which, again, seems extremely counterproductive. Along our journey, we, we, we pick up the, the, the mentality, again, that, that ultimate achievement in this life is being self-made. That is what's preached. That's what's evangelized. That's what's... That's what's uh, advertised, to be self-made, to have it together, to rely on others as little as humanly possible. It is like an indictment to ask for help in our modern culture. And I am the chief sinner as it relates to that. I am horrible at that. I will do everything by myself to never, I, I, I don't mind being inconvenienced. I hate inconveniencing somebody else. So we strive to do everything in our own strength. And after a while, what happens inevitably is trying to carry the load of our life, not just our natural life, our spiritual life, our family life, our work life, everything else involved in that, 
trying to be the best version of ourselves we can possibly be. We feel like Atlas with the world on our shoulders, and that weight gets to be too much to bear, and we get weary, we get burned out, we get cynical, we get snippy. Have you ever felt that? When you're just too busy, you're not very nice. So we wear ourselves out. The reason we wear ourselves out is because we're running in our own strength. We're trying to do this in and of ourselves. And what happens, to use the running analogy, is that it's almost like we get ahead of God. We're, we're, the, we're the kid on the starting block trying to run the mile like we ran the 40, and we're just going. Because you've got to win, you've got to succeed, you've got to look good, you've got to look smart enough, you've got to look strong enough, you've got to look together. No one can no, never let anybody see you sweat. We don't want anyone to look at our family and say, man, those guys are messed up. We don't want anybody to say that. Man, those kids are bad. No, we want everyone to think that our family is perfect and we should be on TV. And so we're, we're almost running ahead of God himself. God is got this healthy pace. You see it in the life of Christ. Believers, uh, uh, historians believe that Jesus walked like three miles an hour everywhere. Just casually moved. In fact, you, the only time you see God in a hurry in the Bible is in the story of the prodigal son where the father was running to, to greet the prodigal, to sweep him up and show him forgiveness and kindness and love and grace. He's, he's in a hurry to show you grace and extend grace to you but otherwise, if you've ever prayed for something and waited on God to deliver, you know He's not in a hurry. You are. He is not. God, I've got to sign this deal today. We need you to move. Come on, show me a sign. Come on, give me something. Fireworks, something. Give me something. God's like, it's like the, the turtle in the uh, Bugs Bunny. I'm coming. Wait on the Lord. You're like, oh my gosh. In this world, they're turning the fast-forward button up. It used to be, I want to watch The Goonies. So I have to get up, put on clothing, get in a car, drive to Blockbuster, find my membership card, exchange cash and receipts, discuss the terms of the contract. You get it two and a half days, bring it back, or I'm going to charge you $400, that whole thing, maybe pick up some goobers and go on home. Then you put it in the VCR tape, uh, fix the tracking, watch the Goonies. And then you got to take it back. Now, if it's not on some streaming platform, I'm like, oh my, what are we, the Flintstones? I, want it, like, I just want to push a button and watch it. We, my, my daughter and I watched Wayne's World last night. I didn't go to Blockbuster. I pushed a button, we watched it. So our culture is, is technology, everything. We have very short attention spans. We have very low tolerance for waiting, which is what makes this conversation even more important. How do I gain strength? Waiting. In the waiting. Most times, I would say, in our modern culture, we look less like soaring eagles and more like hummingbirds, but hummingbirds who have been drinking Red Bull. The Bible talks about you'll mount up with wings like eagles. Now, that whole imagery is beautiful. I mean, who doesn't respect and revere an eagle? It's beautiful and majestic. 
But I think the most important part is that a wing, the, the wings of an eagle are not flapping. They, they are created to be lifted by something greater than themselves. They are made to be carried. They are created and designed to be carried by a force that is greater than themselves. And that the eagle, trust me, doesn't even fully understand the science behind it. The eagle just enjoys the process. And we get a little bit caught up in the minutiae, like, how's the Lord work? And how is He going to work? He works. He's God. His ways, I, we just read it, His ways are inscrutable. <laughs> that means you're not going to figure it out. And you can't argue it. When, inevitably, when we, through our career, in whatever uh, uh, arena of life, relationships, friendships, hobbies, pastimes, endeavors, even our spiritual walk, when we get ahead of ourselves and ultimately get ahead of where God is and just start trying to book it, and then we feel tired, we feel worn out, we feel weary, we feel heavy laden. Sunday morning, the alarm rings, we're like, I'm not, I don't feel like going to church today. <laughs> or small group, I don't feel like going to a small group. I don't have time to invest into stuff like that. I got, I'm busy. Even though the same book of Hebrews says, don't, don't forsake this. Make this a priority. Well, the priorities start kind of slipping because we're tired, we're worn out, we're weary, we're heavy laden. And what the encouragement of the book of Isaiah is, okay, those moments are going to happen to all of us. I, it happens to me regularly. It's going to happen to you. What do you do? Sounds counterintuitive, but it's what we're meant to do. Stop. Stop. Hit your brakes. Stop. There's a, there's a scripture that this conversation reminds me of. Every time I read Isaiah 40, I, I think of this scripture, and I think that they're linked. I feel that they're linked. Psalms 46, verse 10. Be still. Another translation says, cease striving. In other words, stop. And then it doesn't end there. It gives you a consideration. What am I doing? I'm stopped. What I, am I just stopping to stop? No. Stop. And then consider this. He is God. Know that He is God. Realize that He is God. Now, there's, that's loaded. There's, this is, there's a lot to that. But what, what's being said is, realize who's in control. Realize who's in charge. Realize who's leading the dance. Realize not just who you are, which we put a lot of emphasis on, whose you are. Everyone knows their Enneagram. Everybody knows their personality type. But in all that, sometimes we forget the most important thing. Whose we are. Who we belong to. I am not autonomous. It is not my life for me. It is no longer I who live. It is Christ who lives in me. So to stop, to cease striving, to, to, to take a moment, to wait on the Lord is to realize, acknowledge, and be reminded of the fact that He is God. I am not. You lead me. I'm getting ahead of this thing, and I, my will be done, and I need to stop and say, no, yours. Stop. Realize, He is 
He is God. He is in control. He is working all things out for our good. He has run, he has run this race and won it for us. As we turn our attention back to him, we find out, we find this thing that Isaiah calls new strength. And it, it, this new strength is, picture this, it, it is a strength that is 100, 100% for us and 0% from us. So when you wait upon the Lord, he renews your strength. He gives you a new strength, and that strength is 100% for you and 0% from you. You are not the source. In fact, it was you doing nothing, waiting on God to be God, to realize He's God, and you receive that new strength. Now, uh, to go just a little further, the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that this, this strength, the strength of the Lord, this new strength that we're talking about, this, the strength that is God's strength, it shows up specifically, and he even uses the word perfectly, in certain aspects of our life. And this is, this is the part that really rocks us to our core and starts to confront the way that we live life and run our race. This new strength that we desperately need shows up perfectly in areas of weakness. Not in areas of strength. Not where you got it together. Not where you're good at anything. In fact... His strength is perfected in our weakness. Now, weakness is something, whether we admit it or not, we all have. In fact, some of us have some very obvious weaknesses that are obvious to ourselves that are disadvantages that we deal with. Now, those could take any form, but it's it's an area of disadvantage. And here's two things that I've learned in our modern culture as it relates to big weakness, big disadvantage, is that A, um, a lot of times people allow that thing or those things to define them. I am my weakness. I am my shortcoming. Uh, personally, I, we, we sent a video out to the small groups and uh, I talked about this briefly, but um, I remember being a young, uh, young man, teenage into my early 20s, and um, I was uh, involving myself in ministry, and uh, ministry, there can be and often is pride attached to young ministers. You'll notice that. If you've been around church for any length of time, it just happens. And so... I was experiencing uh, a problem of pride. And uh, one day, in a moment of clarity, I was made aware of how deeply problematic pride is and how annoying I was. And I sort of had the rug pulled out from under me, and I realized I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be that way. So in my own strength... I tried to counteract the pride to swing the pendulum, and so I started becoming extremely self-critical, self-effacing, very negative as it relates to myself. So I would blow the bullhorn of my weaknesses all the time, 
to the point of being, that was also annoying. So I went from struggling with pride to struggling with insecurity. Now both are two sides of the same coin. I know insecurity seems nicer and more socially acceptable than pride, but both are completely consumed by self. So if I walk into this room and my feeling is, hey, everybody's looking at me, or my mentality is, everyone's looking at me. It's the same sentiment. It's the same, everyone's, it's all about you. Whether you're happy about that or not, it's all about you. So there's something else that God, God talks, it's talked about in the Bible a lot. Humility. True humility. The Bible says in, in Philippians that do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. On the other side, with humility of mind, consider others as being more important than even yourself. You're only going to get there is if it, from the place of humility. And humility walks into a room and says, look at all these people that I'd love to talk to, get to know, and bless. It's outside of self. Instead of life turned inward. So a lot of times in our culture, weakness is a self-obsession that, that almost gives us a, uh, uniqueness and being special. And it's like, this is our calling card. I have this. And so mine would be, I struggle with insecurity. That's my identity. I am an insecure person. And that does a couple things. It puts, it, it, hopefully, for the person doing that, it puts you in a, in, a, in a place where people would see you more sincerely, hopefully see you more down to earth. It also excuses you, and this is the second thing. It becomes our identity, and then also it becomes something that anything on the other side of that weakness, we don't have to do. So if it requires me stepping above and beyond the weakness that I clearly have, that I've told you about, I don't have to, it omits my responsibility from doing anything that's on the other side of my weakness. And I would say, God wants us to live on the other side of that weakness. Because that's where faith is. The Bible says clearly, do, do everything from a place of faith. In fact, Anything not of faith is sin. It was a very dramatic sentence to say that in our own strength, we're not going to be righteous. It's his strength that makes us righteous. It's his righteousness that is imputed to us and makes us righteous. The only way that we are righteous is by faith. So live there. That is exactly the opposite of living within our comfort zones. It's living in a place of faith. And so um, first, let me address those two things real quick. Our weaknesses in no way, shape, or form define us. They don't. That is false, and to do that is wrong. And I'm not saying it's wrong as a slap on the hand. I'm saying let us be free from the feeling of being limited to or defined by our weaknesses or any disadvantage that we have. That is not who we are. That, what defines us is the one who made us. We are defined by the one who made us and loved us enough to die for us. That is, our, that is who we are. And the way that the Bible says that we are defined is, first, we are his beloved in whom he is well pleased. Second, uh, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That is our identity. 
That is who we are. Brennan Manning once said that, that you are his beloved and any other identity is false. You are the one in whom Jesus loves. That's your identity. Worth dying for. That's your identity. Not our weaknesses. And then on the other side of that, as I mentioned, um, what, if our, what if our weaknesses are not obstacles to a resist moving beyond, but what if they are doorways to a treasure trove of grace to do everything that God's called us to do? What if our weakness is that very path, the very doorway to enter this treasure trove of grace, supernatural grace, that is available to all of us to do exactly what God's called us to do, which will always be beyond what we're capable of doing. God has not called you to do what you're good at. God has called you to do above and beyond anything you could ever ask or think. The things that seem unlikely, the things that seem impossible to us, that is where God does his best work. And the beauty of it is God's tro- his strength shows up the most and the brightest in our weakness, And who gets credit for it when it's done? The one whose strength was required to do it. Wait a second. What that means is God uses us to do beautiful things all around. And we don't get any of the glory for it. Does that sound right? Yeah. It does. It goes, we read it last week, Romans eleven thirty six. I believe. It says everything's from him, it's through him, it's to him, and then it says, to him be the glory. That's us. That's our dynamic. That's what we're called to do. And so the only thing I can boast about in those moments, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says this, the only thing I boast in personally is my weakness. Now, we don't boast in our weakness to use it as an identity. We're to say the boasting in our weakness is despite what I am, despite what I have, despite what I go through, despite my personal weaknesses, look what the Lord has done. That phrase should fly out of our mouth all the time. Look what the Lord has done. As we close, I want to to speak to this whole process as practically as I possibly can. This life requires endurance in order to keep going, in order to not give up, in order to accomplish what God's created us to accomplish, which again is outside of our comfort zone always. It will always stretch us. God works within faith, not within comfort zones. The strength that we require to endure is not found within us. We might think we're pretty smart, pretty clever, pretty adept. I've been in the game a long time. I've read my Bible cover to cover many, many times. I've been in I've gone to seminary school. I've been around the block. I know what I'm doing. Regardless of that, young men still stumble. The youth still get faint of heart. The together still trip. It is not my strength that carries me there. It is a strength that is supernatural. And and in that strength that God gives to us freely, the new strength, we thrive And we are trusting God to be God even in the midst of our weaknesses and incapabilities. So when we're going and going and going and doing our best to gut it out, make it happen, and just carry on in our own strength, it is vital to stop. 
In fact, I would even say this. It is probably a good idea to schedule times to stop. I think people think of a personal devotion uh, in terms of reading their Bible. Maybe you've got a devotional, uh, watching videos, small groups. Uh, A regular devotion people think of is becoming intellectually better at Christianity. That is not the point. Now, you will pick up wisdom, you will pick up knowledge, you will pick up perspective. Intellectually, we will grow. But is that, is becoming more intellectual in this endeavor the point, or is it becoming more dependent on His amazing grace? So I think moments of devotion are probably more specifically moments where we stop and we consider who God is. And maybe we're made aware and gain revelation more and more of who God is and how far His grace reaches. So maybe our personal devotion is more about uh, coming to stop and cease striving moments that are scheduled in our daily walk, in our weeks, where we can stop and consider, He is God, I am not. Because I forget. Because the feeling I have most of the time is that this thing's riding on me. And that feeling is crushing. It's demoralizing, and I want to quit. It makes me want to quit. And I've wanted to quit many, many times. I've wanted to quit many, many times this, in this year. But in those moments, I have to stop. I have to wait on the Lord, and all of a sudden, I start feeling the right feeling, and that is that I am actually being carried. That I'm not, I'm not doing this in my own strength. God's got me. And he's always got me. And he's never going to let me down. So my encouragement is this. That's the waiting on the Lord. Is whatever, if it's your job, if it's family stuff, if it's relational stuff, if it's some decisions you're having to make for you, for your family, I I would hit the pause button on everything and get by yourself and wait on the Lord and just let him pick you up and let him overwhelm you with his grace and love where you realize he is way bigger than I thought he was. He is way more in charge than I give him credit for. And I can trust him with everything. 